Welcome to episode number 43 of Sean's Sports Show. Today we are coming at you live from the usual Los Angeles, California. We're going to be covering the breaking news in sports, as well as the news results and matchups of the sports teams in Los Angeles and the Monte Carlo Masters Tennis Tournament. The first thing we're going to be talking about has to do with European soccer. Um, Romelu Lukaku came off the bench to score in Manchester United's routine 2-0 win over Bournemouth on Wednesday, the perfect dress rehearsal for Saturday's FA Cup meeting with Tottenham Hotspur. Chris Smalling gave Man U the lead in the first half, and Lukaku added the, uh, to the advantage after the break. So the, in my take on this, this is a good win for United. They're the team that I support, and it's good to see them winning when close to the end of the season. So now a big story inside the world of the NFL, something that I did not see coming personally. Running back Saquon Barkley's Rock Nation representatives reportedly don't want him to be selected by the Cleveland Browns in the 2018 NFL Draft. According to Ben Baskin of, the, of Sports Illustrated, the former uh, Penn State Stars reps, quote, implored him to publicly say that he won't play for the Browns. Although Barkley's reps would reportedly prefer Barkley uh, to slip past number one overall and go number two to the New York Giants, Barkley has no plans to, uh, he has no plans to force the Browns to pass on him. Uh, Baskin added that Barkley has told friends he has visions of bringing a championship to Cleveland and become and becoming a beloved figure in, in the same way uh, that LeBron James did, did the same thing with the Cleveland Cavaliers of the NBA. Uh, Kim Miali, Barkley's agent, later denied the report to Barry K. Kabat of Cleveland.com in a statement. Quote, I can say on behalf of our entire team that we would be thrilled for Saquon to go to whichever team drafts him. We know he will be a resounding success for any team fortunate enough to select him. Sports Illustrated would release a statement to A.J. Perez of USA Today, defending the report, quote, SI continues to stand by its reporting and story in the current issue. Barkley is widely viewed as the best all-around prospect in the 2018 NFL draft, but his reps may not have to worry uh, much about him going number one overall. Per Tom Rock of Newsday, ESPN NFL draft analyst Todd McShay uh, said on Wednesday that Barkley getting selected by the New York Giants at number two feels, quote, inevitable. But even if Cleveland passes on him with the top, top pick, it still possesses it still is possible for the Browns to land Barkley as they also own the number uh, four overall selection. The Giants arguably have a bigger need for Barkley uh, since Cleveland did, did sign running back Carlos Hyde away from the San Francisco 49ers in free agency. Bleacher reports Matt Miller ranked Barkley as the number one overall prospect in the draft as part of his latest big board. Miller also projected in his latest mock draft that Barkley will slide to the Browns at number four overall. So that's that. Um, my take on this... Um, I think I don't. I, I think that there was a there's a possibility that uh, Barkley's you know camp didn't really don't really want him to go to Cleveland. But I think that uh, Saquon Barkley himself is open to playing anywhere, and uh, that's the kind of mentality that teams look for in a player, especially when selecting a top player. At, you know, as high as Saquon Barkley will almost certainly be taken. So now another story in the NFL. New England uh, Patriots quarterback Tom Brady reportedly has yet to commit to playing in the 2018 season. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, multiple sources believe Brady will play. However, his status for 2018 is not yet certain. Schefter's report comes after Brady chose not to attend the opening of New England's offseason program this week. One source told Schefter, quote, my money would be on him playing football for the foreseeable future, but what goes on away from the football field, I don't know, I don't know. Another source hedged optimism with uncertainty as well as well saying, quote, I believe he's going to be there. However, having said that, we're dealing with a human being. Things can change, but I do believe he will be playing. Michael Giardi of NBC Sports Boston later reported he spoke to two of Brady's teammates who noted they've had talks with the quarterback during the offseason and that Brady, quote, never indicated he wasn't playing slash retiring. 
Schefter's report regarding Brady regarding Brady means there is a lack of clarity surrounding two of New England's best players, as tight end Rob Gronkowski has yet to commit to playing in 2018 as well. Although Brady is approaching 41 years of age, he's coming off a highly productive season that saw him net his third career NFL MVP award. He completed 66.3% of his passes for 4,577 yards, 32 touchdowns, and 8 interceptions. He also threw for 505 yards and 3 touchdowns in his Super Bowl 52 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. In an interview on Westwood One before the Super Bowl, Tom Brady was definitive in saying he would play in 2018. New England will be in a difficult spot if Brady retires, since the only other quarterback on the roster is journeyman veteran Brian Hoyer. The Patriots own the number 23 and 31 overall picks in the 2018 NFL Draft, meaning they may have enough capital to to select an heir to Brady's throne if a QB falls or they trade up. So uh, my take on this is... uh, I, th- I think for sure that Tom Brady is going to play uh, in the 2018 season, and I think he's going to play for at least a few more years. Even though he's 41, he's he's arguably you know the best he's been, much like LeBron James is doing this, a very similar thing in the NBA. So I think uh, Tom and the Patriots are going to you know be looking good for at least a few more years, or at least a couple more years. Now, a uh, story in the world of boxing, um, kind of surprising. Middleweight boxer Saul Canelo Alvarez was suspended for six months on Wednesday by the Nevada State Athletic Commission for his failed drug test in March. TMZ noted Alvarez was scheduled for a rematch with Gennady Golovkin on May 5th, but that date had already been canceled. Per that report, Canelo had a positive test for clenbuterol on March 5th and blamed the result on tainted Mexican beef. As noted by boxing analyst Max Kellerman, the explanation could be plausible depending on the levels of steroids that were found. TMZ uh, noted that a uh, six-month suspension or punishment is relatively light, and I agree with that. Uh... And Dan Raphael of ESPN noted that it was a quick hearing and that the commission and Canelo's team reached an uh, adjudication agreement before the hearing and it was uh, adopted unanimously 5-0 by the commission. Um, Canelo got a one-year suspension, but because he cooperated with the whole process, it was reduced to six months. Uh, Triple G has already announced the new opponent opponent for May 5th as as he'll defend his IBO, WBA, and WBC titles against Venice Mercirosian, who hasn't fought since 2016 and has lost two of his last three fights. Uh, Golovkin is, is expected to cruise to an easy win, setting up one of the most anticipated rematches in boxing. The two top fighters in the middleweight division finally came face-to-face in the ring last September, fighting out to a, con- a controversial draw. I thought that Triple G won that fight for sure. One of the judges, Al- Adelaide Bird, came under criticism for her scorecard, scoring the fight 118-110 for Canelo. Most fans and pundits uh, thought GGG won the fight, and Bird took some time off from judging after the controversy, for Mark Raimondi of, MMA, of MMAfighting.com. Canelo will be eligible to fight again on August 17th per Rafael, and the rematch between him and G, uh, Triple G could take place in September if the latter takes care of business against Mercy Rossian. So it should be interesting how this plays out, but my own opinion on this is I think Canelo should have a bit more of suspension, but at the same t- I think his suspension should be a bit longer than six months, maybe eight to ten. But at the same time, who knows? He may be innocent, and it may have been um, as a result of contaminated beef as... um. A lot of Mexican athletes uh, have been in that situation, and um, and also uh, it was reported that the level of clenbuterol found in his system is not very performance enhancing, and, and rather would be uh, the amount that would be in someone's system as a result of contaminated beef. So that's that. Now switching gears back to the NBA, Philadelphia 76ers head coach Brett Brown is not committing one way or, or the other on Joel Embiid's status for Game 3 of the Sixers Eastern Conference Playoff Series against the Miami Heat on Thursday. Per Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, Brown said he's, quote, neutral about Embiid's odds of playing. He added the Star Center's official status for the game is still undetermined. 
as I have mentioned many times, Embiid hasn't played since March 28th against the New York Knicks when he suffered a fractured orbital bone in a collision with teammate Markel Fultz. ESPN's Ramona Shelburne reported Sunday that Embiid had cleared the NBA's concussion protocol but was being held out of Game 2. The Heat got a 113-103 win in the second game to even the series at one game apiece before heading to American Airlines Arena in Miami for Game 3. Following the Sixers' loss in Game 2, Embiid wrote in an Instagram story via Zach Harper of FanRag Sports, he was effing sick and tired of being babied. Embiid has been with the 76ers since they drafted him number 3 overall in 2014. The 24-year-old has appeared in 94 games over the past two years after missing each of his first two seasons due to injuries. He led Philadelphia with 22.9 points and 11 rebounds a game this year. The 76ers are in the postseason for the uh, first time since the 2011-2012 season, mostly because of him, in my opinion. So uh, my take on this is, as I said earlier, Philadelphia shouldn't should not rush um, at all uh, with this because I think they're still the favorites to win the series against the Miami Heat, even if they're uh, uh, even if they don't have Joel Embiid. So I don't think that they're they they obviously need and want him back as soon as possible uh, to not risk any chance of losing the series um, or just to have him. Like if if they're gonna cruise to a, a, a you know a win in the series, just to have him like warm up a little bit before the next round. So, but uh, I think he'll be back sooner rather than later. So uh, another story inside the world of the NFL draft that has to do with Saquon Barkley. The rumor that running back Saquon Barkley will be selected by the New York Giants with number two overall pick at this year's NFL draft is picking up steam. ESPN insider Todd McShay said on Wednesday that that quote it feels inevitable that Barkley will be a Giant after the NFL draft. Per Tom Rock of Newsday, adding that Barkley is, quote, a franchise-changing player. McShay continued, quote, The Giants want to be a run-first physical football team, and Saquon can basically be the face of that franchise moving forward several years. He can be the back that they've had in years past. If you spend 10 minutes with Saquon, you understand he's going to be the face of a franchise. He's so likable, so easy to get along with, a great genuine young man who loves the game and is going to give you everything he's got every week. McShay also noted that Barkley only makes sense for the Giants if the team is committed to being a balanced offense. Quote, that's a big component in all of this. What is your emphasis? He said, if you're trying to throw the ball around and go 60 to 40, 70 to 30 past the run, then I don't know that it makes sense. But if the Giants want to be a, a run first team, and that's what I'm told the emphasis is, then Barkley makes all the sense in the world. The Giants averaged just 96.8 rushing yards a game in 2017, which it was 26th in the NFL. Adding a dynamic running back like Barkley would help. The addition of left tackle Nate Soldier in free agency will help too. The Giants won't abandon in the passing game if they added Barkley, of course, not with playmakers like Odell Beckham Jr. and Evan Ingram. Plus, Barkley himself is an elite receiver out of the backfield, catching 102 passes for 1,195 yards and 8 touchdowns in his three collegiate seasons. Uh, and and the, the thought of adding Barkley to an offense with a number of playmakers is intriguing. The Giants are only one season removed from a playoff berth and the number of running backs selected in the top 10 in recent years, uh, including Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, and Leonard Fournette, all come to mind, have transformed their respective offenses and led to recent playoff appearances. But building an offense around Barkley makes sense for a team like the Giants. It would take pressure off veteran quarterback Eli Manning and force defenses to respect the run game, opening up the opportunities for like Odell Beckham in the pass game. So personally, I think I think that um, the Giants will take Saquon Barkley after Cleveland takes Sam Darnold at number one. And I think it's the right choice for uh, New York to not take a quarterback. Now, uh, following up on Joel Embiid's status for Game 3, uh, Joel Embiid is apparently not done being, quote, babied. The Philadelphia 76ers listed their all-star center as doubtful for Thursday's Game 3 matchup against the Miami Heat as he continues to recover from an orbital bone fracture in his left eye. Embiid, who's 24 years old, has missed the team's last 10 games after suffering the injury in March 28th, which was a win over the New York Knicks. Um, 
Ersan Ilyasova likely will continue to start in his place, with Amir Johnson getting additional minutes off the bench. The Sixers reeled off wins in, in their first nine games without Embiid, but Miami still home court advantage from them with a 10-point victory in Game 2. Um, so, uh, so Brett Brown's reaction was, quote, he just wants to play basketball. He wants to be with his team. He wants to play in front of the fans. He wants to see this through. He, uh, When he's not able to do that, he gets frustrated. So uh, it looks like he's not going to be playing in Game 3. Now, uh, another story, a story in, inside the world of college basketball. Former UConn head men's basketball coach Kevin Ollie and his lawyer said in a letter to the university that his constitutional rights were violated when he was fired for cause. The letter said Ollie was never given the opportunity to refute the case for his termination, which was guaranteed in his contract. It also said he was prevented from receiving the $10 million termination payout he would have received if he, if he were fired without cause. Uh, Meyer and Medcalf of ESPN.com shared an excerpt from the letter. Quote, from our view of the facts and circumstances relating to Coach Ollie's employment status, it is apparent that the University of Connecticut has already violated Coach Ollie's rights under the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution by subverting Coach Ollie's opportunity to respond to charges and evidence in a meaningful way in advance of the decision to terminate his employment. Uh, quote, the public record action taken and authorized communications by representatives of the University of Connecticut de demonstrate that the decision to terminate Coach Ali has already been made, and therefore the University of Connecticut has effectively ne uh, negated Coach Ali's property uh, right protected by the uh, his property right protected by the Fourteenth Amendment of the United States Constitution. Constitution. Ali, who's forty five years old, was fired on March tenth with cause, though the university has not publicly cited the basis for that dis distinction. The program is being investigated by the NCAA for potential recruiting violations, which may be connected to Ali's dismissal. Ali was replaced by former Rhode Island head coach Dan Hurley, who was hired in late March. Per uh, Metcalf, Ollie had the right to a termination letter uh, outlining the cause of outlining the cause for termination as a part of the collective bargaining agreement agreed upon by UConn's branch of the American Association of University Professors. He also had a right to a hearing. Uh, that hearing took place last week with Athletic Director David Benedict, who maintained the school's decision to fire him with cause. Ollie will next have a hearing with UConn President Susan Herbst, and if she agrees with the decision to fire him, he can choose to bring aboard an arbitrator to hear his case, according to Metcalf. If the, if the arbiter if the arbiter upholds his firing with cause, Ollie's last recourse is a lawsuit. Given that his letter accuses the school of violation of the 14th Amendment, which protects due process, it would appear Ollie and his legal team are preparing for that option. Ollie went 127-79 and and during six seasons for the Huskies, leading them to two NCAA tournaments and the 2013-14 national title. So, um, that's that. Now, a big story inside the world of the NBA Despite a potential rift in their relationship, the San Antonio Spurs are reportedly not giving any indication that they will trade Kawhi Leonard. Per Mark Stein of the New York Times, the Spurs, quote, continue to give off signals behind the scenes that Leonard won't be dealt this summer. Leonard only appeared in nine games this season because of a quad injury that was first announced during training camp in September. After playing 28 minutes in the January 13th game against the Denver Nuggets, Leonard was ruled out indefinitely to continue rehabbing his ailing quad. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski and Michael C. Wright reported on January the 22nd that Leonard's constant rehab and timetables to return were having a, quote, chilling impact on his relationship with San Antonio. The two-time All-Star told reporters in March he was, quote, he was making, quote, great progress uh, and was hoping to come back soon. Per Yahoo Sports' Shams Tyrannia, Leonard isn't expected to return at any point in the postseason. The 26-year-old has one more guaranteed year left on his deal worth $20.1 million with a player option for the 2019-20 season per spot track. After finishing, his, after finishing third in NBA MVP voting last season, 
Leonard is eligible for a Supermax contract extension from the Spurs that Stein notes would be worth over $200 million. So that's that. Now another story inside the world of the NBA having to do with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Coming off a blowout loss to the Indiana Pacers in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals, LeBron James thinks the Cleveland Cavaliers roster changes during the season hurt their ability to get ready for the postseason. Per ESPN's David McManaman, James addressed the way uh, the ways Cleveland used its lineup in the season. Quote, I think we spent so much time trying to figure out who we were in the season and getting the right lineups and guys in and out and things of that nature. We could never build for the playoffs. It was kind of like build for the next game. So the postseason finally hit us and it hit us very well. And I think that can be the best teacher for us uh, to know exactly what we should be ready for tonight. The Cavs underwent a dramatic makeover at the trade deadline in February. They swapped in Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance Jr., Rodney Hood, and George Hill for Dwayne Wade, Jay Crowder, Derek Rose, Isaiah Thomas, Channing Fry, and Iman Shumpert. Cleveland used a total of 29 different starting lineups during the season. The most frequent starting lineup with its current roster um, was used seven times. That includes LeBron James, George Hill, C.D. Osman, J.R. Smith, and Tristan Thompson. Per Joe Verdun of Cleveland.com, Cavs head coach Tyron Lue said the team was, quote, looking into making lineup changes before Game 2 against the Pacers on Wednesday. James' 24 points in Cleveland's 98-80 Game 1 loss were nearly as much as many as the total of the other four starters combined with 25. So that's that. Now, a, a big story in the NFL. The New England Patriots have reportedly, quote, expressed interest in UCLA quarterback Josh Rosen, who's one of the top prospects in the 2018 NFL draft. Doug uh, Keat of NESN reported the update. Wednesday noted the Pats, who own picks number 23 and 31 in the first round, could look to move up to grab the Bruins quarterback. Speculation has run rampant about the Patriots' intentions since they traded wide receiver Brandon Cooks to the Los Angeles Rams earlier this month to acquire an additional first-round selection. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News reported after the deal that New England had a, had an, quote, affinity for Oklahoma quarterback Baker Mayfield. The rumors are generating additional interest after ESPN's Adam Schefter reported longtime Patriots star Tom Brady has, quote, not committed to playing in 2018, and I've mentioned that earlier. Uh, if the organization is concerned, Brady may be coming near the end of his legendary career. The talk about trading up for a QB would make a lot more sense. Before now, it felt more like a smokescreen since the AFC East rival New York Jets and Buffalo Bills are both also in the market to upgrade um, at the position. Rosen completed 60.9% of his throws for 9,340 yards with 59 touchdowns and 26 interceptions across 30 games at UCLA. He's competing with Mayfield, Sam Darnold from USC, Josh Allen of Wyoming, Lamar Jackson of Louisville, and Mason Rudolph of Oklahoma State for positioning within the loaded quarterback group. He should come off the board during his first during the first half of round one, potentially inside the top five. The question is whether the Patriots are willing to sacrifice their, their added draft capital to make him raise heir apparent when the draft kicks off uh, April 26th at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. So it should be interesting. Um, and I didn't I didn't talk about LeBron um, LeBron's uh, situation or Kawhi's. So I'm going to be starting with Kawhi's, uh, just giving my take on it. So I think uh, the Spurs should keep Kawhi because he's such an amazing player. And I think everything's going to work out when Popovich and Kawhi really start to talk about things. Uh, now with LeBron, I mean, I don't really, I don't sympathize with LeBron whatsoever considering that everybody kind of knows that LeBron was the reason why the players were traded uh, in February, why, why that whole big shakeup happened. Uh, so no sympathy for him there. Now another story in the NBA, Kenny Smith is reportedly a candidate to become New York Knicks' next head coach. According to an ESPN.com article, a source told Stephen A. Smith the Knicks will interview the TNT analyst for the position on Friday. Smith has never coached at the NBA level, but he played for the Sacramento Kings, Atlanta Hawks, Houston Rockets, Denver Nuggets, Detroit Pistons, and Orlando Magic from 1987 through 1997. 
David Fisdale, Mark Jackson, David Blight, and Jerry Stackhouse are the next top four candidates for the position, according to ESPN.com's Adrian Wojnarowski, and each will interview with the team. The ESPN.com article also noted the Knicks received permission to discuss the position, which is open after they hired Jeff Hornacek at the conclusion of this season with Los Angeles Clippers assistant coach Mike Woodson. The Knicks fired Woodson as head coach following the 2013-14 season, and he, quote, isn't considered uh, to be in the top tier of initial candidates, according to the report. Regardless of who New York ultimately hires, the team's next head coach will be walking into an ongoing rebuild. The Knicks have made the playoffs just four times in the past 17 years and have missed the last five postseasons. They also figured to be without Chris Epps Porzingis at the start of the 2018-19 seasons, season as he continues to recover from a torn ACL. Following a 31 season in 2016-17, the Knicks won only 29 games this year. If they're without Porzingis for a portion of the next season, playoff contention isn't likely to be in the cards. Smith doesn't have any coaching experience in the NBA, but he's been around the league for decades as either a player or an analyst. If the Knicks do wind up hiring him, he would be he would at least have a superstar in Porzingis to build around. So uh, that's that. I mean, if I'm the Knicks, I, I would want to take this gamble because Kenny Smith is so knowledgeable. It seems like he's so knowledgeable about, about the game, playing 10 years in the NBA and being an analyst for a long time as well. Uh, but, um, you know, he, since he's had no NBA coaching experience, it's a, it's a, it's a big gamble for New York. So now another story in the NBA. The three-time defending Eastern Conference champions weren't going to fade quietly into the night in the first round of the 2018 NBA playoffs, especially with LeBron James leading the way. James dropped 46 points to guide the Cavs to a 100-97 victory over the Indiana Pacers at Quicken Loans Arena in Game 2 on Wednesday, evening the series at one game apiece. The four-time MVP wasted little time sending a message after his team lost its first home game by 18. He scored the first 13 points of the game and his team's first 16 on his way to 46 points on 17 of 24 shooting, 12 rebounds, and 5 assists. Despite LeBron's heroics in an early 18-point Cleveland lead, Indiana battled back and had the opportunity to tie it in the final 30 seconds with a Victor Oladipo three-pointer that rimmed out. James's aggressiveness out of the gates was particularly notable after head coach Tyron Lue challenged him Monday uh, to, quote, set the tone early per Dave McMahon of ESPN.com. His first shot in Game 1 came with less than two minutes remaining in the first quarter after his team was already down 17. But he attempted the opening shot of Wednesday's contest and consistently bullied his way to the rim while scoring 20 points in the first quarter. The Pacers had nobody to cut off his penetration, and when they did sag him off and Darren Mishu, he responded with two triples and a handful of step-back mid-range buckets. James wasn't uh, about to allow his team to fall to, into a 2-0 hole. Anytime the Pacers crawled back within serious striking range, he was there with an answer, whether it was by drawing fouls, attacking the lane, or drilling shots over Miles Turner and Bojan Bogdanovich. James, go- James going from Game 1 triple-double facilitator into the scoring machine wasn't the camp's only notable change. Uh, as Lou as uh, started J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver in place of uh, Jeff Green and Rodney Hood. Green went scoreless in Game 1, and Hood had just 9 of Cleveland's 80 points, while Smith and Korver provided more shooting after the team had finished an abysmal 23.5% from deep in the opening loss. Corver answered the call with four three-pointers and 12 points, while Smith tallied a critical steal and layup in the closing stretch while guarding Oladipo. Kevin Love added 15 points and eight rebounds, but he missed the final three minutes after apparently injuring his finger in a setback that could prove problematic for the Cavs if it lingers. In the first game, Cleveland lost because of its typically strong offense, because it, uh, of its typically strong offense instead of its second-to-last-ranked defense per NBA.com. In Game 2, the Cavs again held the Pacers to less than 100 points and caught an early break when Oladipo went to the bench with two quick fouls. Cleveland also for 17 turnovers, six of which came from Oladipo, which prevented the Pacers from overcoming the initial deficit. Oladipo played well for stretches, slicing through the lane and serving as a willing passer when double teams came his way. He finished with 22 points and six assists, while Turner was a matchup uh, problem for Cleveland's frontcourt with his footwork, touch around the rim, and ability to stretch to the perimeter. Turner chipped in 18 points, Darren Collison added 16, and the Pacers didn't go away behind their 
relentless penetration and tendency to create uh, looks in the face. In the end, though, Oladipo came up just short on the would-be tying triple. Despite once they've lost, the Pacers can take uh, solace knowing the series shifts back to Indiana on Friday for Game 3. They have the opportunity to seize control of the series if they defend their home court and find a way to contain James in the next two games. So my own take on this is um, this game was a must-win for Cleveland. Uh, they, if, they, if they'd lost, they would be down 0-2 going back to two games in Indiana. Uh, so LeBron really showed up, and he carried his team to this win. Uh, it, was a big, it was a huge win for Cleveland, as I already said. Um, but it was a big of a, it was a bit of a uh, missed opportunity as Indiana could have, you know, struck when the iron while the iron iron was hot and and kind of a t- took a big advantage going back to Indiana. But LeBron willed his team to the victory. So now another uh, story in the NBA result of the play of a playoff game after escaping Game One against the Minnesota Timberwolves with a narrow three point win, the Houston Rockets rolled in Wednesday's Game Two at Toyota Center and seized control of their first round playoff series with a one hundred two to eighty two victory. James Harden was brilliant in Game 1 with 44 points, but Houston relied on Chris Paul and a balanced attack in its second win. Four Houston players scored in double figures, including Paul, who spearheaded in the blowout effort with 27 points, 8 assists, and 3 steals. Harden was another one of those players, totaling 12 points, but he was an abysmal 2 of 18 from the field and 1 of 10 from deep. He was far from the reason his team was victorious, even with 7 assists. Houston is so dangerous because it has two future Hall of Fame caliber players in the backcourt, meaning it can afford a lackluster performance from one and still rely on the other to get through a, through a game. That is that is exactly what has happened in this series against the 8-seeded Timberwolves as Harden made up for Paul's 5-14 shooting and 6 homers in Game 1 and Paul compensated for Harden's showing in Game 2. It helps that the Rockets are playing a Minnesota team that was a mere 22nd in the league in defensive rating this season per NBA.com and doesn't have much of an answer on that side of the ball outside of three-time all-defensive selection Jimmy Butler. With Butler uh, shadowing Harden for stretches, Paul darted into the lane and either finished for himself or forced defenders to collapse before he found it found perimeter perimeter shooters. The nine-time All-Star dazzled the crowd with a number of head-turning floaters and layups at the rim, many of which came when Minnesota's big men were left hopelessly helplessly um, flailing at this at his ball handling and his lightning quick first step. With the Timberwolves left chasing Paul, Gerald Green was left open a number of times and delivered with 27 points on five of 12 shooting from downtown. Trevor Ariza benefited as well with 15 points and 3 triples, and Clint Capella dominated down low with 8 points and 16 rebounds. The fact that Houston handled Minnesota with relative ease, even with the potential uh, league MVP struggling, sends a message to the rest of the teams in the playoffs. This team can win in the postseason without Harden dominating, and, and the ceiling is the Larry O'Brien trophy when he does not, when he does play well. Capella was also key on the defensive side, and a primary reason that Carl Anthony Towns never established a rhythm. The T-Wolves big men... Uh, he's typically a matchup problem because of his ability to score inside or stretch his arsenal to three-point range, but he finished Wednesday's contest with a mere five points on two of nine shooting as Capella and others challenged his looks in the front court. Despite the blowout, it appeared as if it appeared as if Minnesota was going to challenge the Rockets again in Game 2 after it built an early nine-point lead with Butler and Andrew Wiggins attacking off the bounce. However, things fell apart for the visitors when Houston enjoyed a 37-17 advantage in the second quarter alone, and they never recovered. Minnesota never had a chance to win with its all-star big man struggling, but Wiggins 13 points and eight rebounds. And Butler, 11 points, didn't light up the scoreboard either, even with quick feet, with a quick start, excuse me. Uh, the series now shifts to Minnesota for Saturday's Game 3, and the Timberwolves will have two more home games to potentially pull even in the series. If they don't, Houston will be awaiting the winner of the series between the Oklahoma City Thunder and Utah Jazz in the near future. So my take on this is uh, Houston was just the better team. It was not, it was not a close game by any means. Um, it was, you know, it was the, Obviously, Game 1 was huge because uh, if Minnesota won that, it would be 1-1 right now, so... So, yeah, I got Houston winning in five. So, another story inside the world of the NBA. 
After leading his team to a 116-108 victory over the Utah Jazz in Game 1, Oklahoma City Thunder star Paul George found himself as questionable for Game 2 because of a hip injury suffered suffering during a fall on the court on Sunday. George wound up playing in Wednesday's game, scoring 18 points in a 7-point loss at Chesapeake Energy Arena, even though he may not have been fully healthy. The good news for OKC fans is that having a couple of days off before Game 3 should help. Quote, it was a huge turnaround, George said after Game 2 via ESPN's Royce Young. After not being able to put shorts on to obviously playing tonight, it was a huge turnaround. I expected these two... Um, I expected these two three days in between going to Utah, I should be back to 100. In between the first two games of the series, the 27-year-old forward was handled with care. He was not able to do very much today, Thunder coach Billy Donovan said via Eric Holm of News OK. He did some things in practice, but not much. Whether it, whether it be because of the injury, the Utah defense, or just an off night, George saw a big drop in performance on Wednesday night. After going for 36 points on 13 of 20 shooting, including 8 of 11 from beyond the arc, in Game 1, the five-time All-Star dropped 18 points while going just 6 of 21 from the floor and 4 of 12 from 3 in Game 2. It marked the first time in seven April games that he failed to reach the 20-point plateau. Perhaps the most telling sign of the injury was his ineffectiveness when he was on the line in the fourth quarter. He went 0 of 6 from the field in the final period while reaching 43 minutes on the court, his highest since December. Even though he struggled shooting this past game, he did manage to snag 10 rebounds and swat 3 shots. Oklahoma City can survive an off night from George as long as Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony are knocking down shots. That didn't happen in Game 2 as the OKC Big 3 combined for only 40, for only 54 points. A total, that, a total that low doesn't follow the team's winning formula. With the series now tied at one game apiece, the Thunder can't afford to let George sit and rest. They just have to hope that two plus days is enough to get him close to 100%. Fortunately for the team, he feels that would be enough time. Um... So my take on this is this was a big win for Utah, stealing home field advantage, home court advantage. But um, I still think OKC is going to win the series. And uh, yeah. Now a story inside the world of the NBA. I know what else is new. Cleveland Cavaliers center Kevin Love suffered a partially torn ligament in his thumb in Wednesday's game against the Indiana Pacers per Dave McManaman, Dave McManaman of ESPN. But he's not expected to miss any time as a result. Love was seen checking out his hand on the bench in the fourth quarter of Game 2. However, Cavs head coach Tyron Lue revealed after the game that, quote, he's good for Chris Mannix of Yahoo Sports. The veteran big man had 15 points and rebounds in a three-point win that evened the first-round series at one game apiece. Love has struggled all with injuries all year long, most notably missing 21 games with a broken hand. Since coming back, he has also dealt with a tooth injury and concussion symptoms. This is the second year in a row and fifth time in 10 seasons he's failed uh, to top 60 games played. When he's healthy, he remains one of the most versatile big men in the league. He earned his fifth All-Star appearance, including his second in a row thanks to his effort offensively and on the glass. He averaged 17.6 points and 9.3 rebounds a game during the season, shooting 41.5% from three-point range. Unfortunately, the 21, the 29-year-old's health could be an issue once again, putting more uh, pressure on a shallow Cavs bench. Tristan Thompson, Thompson and Larry Nance Jr. could be called upon to pick up the slack in the low post next to LeBron James if the injury affects Love's play. So, uh, in my opinion, the Cavs definitely need uh, LeBron, uh, excuse me, Kevin Love to to make it anywhere in the playoffs, but I think it seems he's not going to miss any time, so the Cavs are looking just normal, just fine, I mean. Uh, after the Minnesota Timberwolves fell 0-2 in their first round series against the Houston Rockets with a 102-82 loss in Game 2 on Wednesday night, head coach Tom Thibodeau made it clear he expects more out of his stars. Thibodeau told reporters that Carl Anthony Towns needs to change the way he's playing via NBA TV. Towns, who averaged 21.3 points during the season, had only 5 points on 2 of 9 shooting, 10 rebounds, and 1 block in Game 2. That followed an 8.12 rebound performance in his playoff debut on Sunday. Minnesota managed to hang around in Game 1 despite a low-scoring night out of its 7-foot, 248-pound center. However, Houston blew the Timberwolves off the court um, after the opening period Wednesday. It bears, it, bears, uh, watching now, it bears watching 
how Tom, Towns responds to his uh, coach's critical comments as the series shifts in Minnesota. Game 3 tips off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday, 4.30 Pacific. So now the last story of breaking news that we're going to be covering, very sad, has to do with basketball. Aaron Popovich, the wife of San Antonio Spurs head coach Greg Popovich, died on Wednesday, the team announced in a statement. Quote, we mourn the loss of Aaron Spurs general manager R.C. Buford said in a statement provided to Bleacher Report. She was a strong, wonderful, kind, intelligent woman who provided love, support, and humor to all of us. Aaron and Greg Popovich were married for four decades. She is survived by the Spurs coach, their two children, and two grandchildren. ESPN.com's Adrian Wojnarowski noted she had been dealing with an undisclosed illness for an, ex- for an quote, extended period. While he rarely talked about his personal life, Popovich shared an anecdote in 2012 about Aaron chastising him for his continuous relationship with sideline reporters. Quote, it entertains everybody but my wife, Popovich told on Dan Levitard's radio show via USA Today. When I get home and she says, geez, why are you so mean? You're a jerk. People hate you. I go, I'm sorry, honey. I have to do better next time. And there's no exaggeration. Did you see that guy, honey? Did you see him? All you have to do is see him and you know why I answered the way I did. That's no excuse. You're a grown man. Show some maturity. I said, I can't. I can't do it. Popovich's uh, status for the Spurs Game 3 matchup with the Golden State Warriors is unknown at this time. San Antonio is down 2-0 in the best of seven first round series. So, um, prayers to Popovich and the rest of the family. Um, you know, no pressure. I, I honestly don't don't expect him to be back for Game 3. Uh, respect to him if he will be, but I'm not going to, you know, he deserves to take some time off after this, after his wife passing away. So anyway, so that's all we have for the breaking news in sports. Now we're going to be covering the LA sports teams and finally the Monte Carlo Masters. So um, the LA Kings have been, uh, well, I'll get into this um, in, a, in a couple of minutes. So the first team we're going to be covering is the um, Dodgers. They played today. Uh, they won. Also, they are on a four-game winning streak. So that's cool. They uh, played the San Diego Padres. They won by a score of 13-4. to four. So the Dodgers improved to eight to nine, eight and nine, excuse me, and the Padres fall to seven and thirteen. So the Dodgers' next game is Friday, April twentieth, at seven ten p.m. against the Washington Nationals in Los Angeles. It'll be broadcasted on Sportsnet LA. Uh, now the LA Angels, they lost to the Boston Red Sox. They got smoked again by a score of nine zero. So that's the Angels' second straight loss. However, the Angels are still thirteen and five, but the Red Sox improved to fifteen and two. So the Angels' next game is tomorrow against the same Red Sox at 7.07 p.m. They're going to be looking to avoid the sweep against Boston at home. So now the Anaheim Ducks, since the LA Kings have been eliminated from playoff contention. So um, the San Jose Sharks have swept the Anaheim Ducks. They won game four by a score of 2-1. to one, And um, that's that. The Anaheim Ducks season is over. So now since the LA Kings, Anaheim Ducks, Los Angeles Lakers, and Los Angeles Clippers... Four teams from Los Angeles that I have been covering have uh, concluded their seasons. I will be covering the rest of the NHL playoffs for now to make up for that. So, um, um, so there have been a few matchups today. I'll be covering yesterday's matchups as well. So uh, yesterday, the Winnipeg Jets beat the Minnesota Wild 2-0 to take a 3-1 series lead. The Golden Knights obviously won 1-0 and swept the Kings. Uh, today, the Pittsburgh Penguins beat the Philadelphia Flyers 5-0. Took a 3-1 series lead. Um, Pittsburgh probably going to win in five. Every game in that series has been a blowout. There has not been one close game, regardless of who won. Then the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Lightning beat the New Jersey Devils 3-1. They take a 3-1 series lead. The New Jersey, the, excuse me, the Nashville Predators beat the Colorado Avalanche 3-2. Uh, so they 
take a 3-1 series lead and the San Jose Sharks beat the Anaheim Ducks 2-1 and they sweep the series 4-0. So that's that. Now uh, the LA Galaxy, as I keep saying, they play Saturday, April 21st, 7.30 p.m. against Atlanta United. And LAFC plays also on Saturday, but instead of 7.30 p.m., they play at 10 a.m. And instead of the Atlanta United, they play against the Montreal Impact. So that's that. Now we're going to be covering the Monte Carlo Open uh, today. Um, the two-seed, Marin Cilic, beat unseeded Spaniard Fernando Verdasco, 6-3, 7-6. Uh, the 14-seed, Canadian Milos Raonic, beat unseeded Italian Cicinato, 7-6, Unseeded Italian Seppi beat unseeded Spaniard Garcia Lopez, 4-6, 6-3, The number one seed, Rafael Nadal, beat unseeded Slovenian Biden, 6-1, 6-3. Uh, unseeded Frenchman Richard Gasquet beat uh, the 10 seed Argentinian Diego Schwartzman 6 2 6 1. Unseeded German Philip Kohlschreiber beat the 15 seed uh, Spaniard Ramos Vignola 6 4 6 2. Uh, unseeded German Struff beat uh, the 13 seed Italian Fognini 6 4 6 2. The 11 seed Spaniard Batista Gut beat the unseeded Spaniard Feliciano Lopez 6 3 7 6. Uh, the 9 seed Novak Djokovic beat uh, unseeded Croatian Borna Chor 7 6 7 5. Unseeded Russian Kachanov beat unseeded Frenchman Simon 6262. Unseeded Japanese player Nishikori beat unseeded Russian Medvedev 7562. And on on men's doubles, um, the unseeded Italians Fognini and Bellelli uns, uh, uh, upset the one seeds Kubat and Melo 2662107. So that's an upset. In, an, in another upset, uh, unseeded Belgian and unseeded uh, Bel, um, Bulgarian Dimit, uh, Dimitrov and Gafan. Beat the eight seeds from uh, Ram, the American, and Dodig, the Croatian, five seven seven six ten eight. Um, in another upset, in a crazy match, two uh, Colombian players, Farah and Cabal, beat Australian peers in uh, a Finnish uh, continent, who were the two seeds, five seven six two eighteen to sixteen. So that's a crazy match. In a match that that was not an upset, the the three seeds. Um, uh, Pat Moroccan Pavic beat the Zvera Brothers 6-2-6-1 so uh, that's all we have for this episode of Sean's Sports Show uh, thank you guys uh, for listening uh, all the other episodes are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher TuneIn and Google Play so check those out um, follow me on iTunes or excuse me follow me on SoundCloud follow me on Twitter add me on Facebook follow me on Instagram uh, and uh, rate my podcast on itunes and uh, subscribe to it on itunes as well so uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode Uh, i appreciate all the support we out